Wonderful, wonderful. Great to see you. Some more new faces. Welcome here. Some older faces, which are newer faces. And some newer faces that are older faces. Does that even work? I don't even know. And if you got a facelift, you can definitely include yourself in one of those categories. Because, hey, why not? Um, thank you very much. It's great to see you all. I'm wearing, if you were here last week, I had some fun with eggs. I actually chose to wear the exact same outfit as last week, just so that if you were worried about my church clothes being destroyed by splashing egg yolks, it has survived, and the carpet turned out okay too, which is a real mercy here, because I enjoy my relationship with the janitorial staff, and I wanted that to survive my antics, which I think it did. We're in Isaiah 56 today. If you want to turn in there to your Bibles, we will read it. But we're going to, I'll let you be in your Bible there as well. We're in a bit of a sermon series, which is, this is the least planned out, but I'm finding most gripping sermon series I've been in in a long time. Um, We're kind of jumping around in the book of Isaiah, doing different things. And the big idea behind this message set is to have faith that whatever's happening in the world, God is in control and he's doing something really good. Um, By nature, my personality is to kind of be a bit depressed, kind of be a bit discouraged, kind of be sensitive to the bad things that are happening, be sensitive to how things could go wrong. Um, And so going through a time like this, I can be a bit of a downer Dan. So I I have to not let my mind and my heart go there too much. My soul needs some shepherding through this time. Plus, just even knowing God, my faith is that whatever's going on, God is doing something good. Like, that's what he does. He does good stuff in the midst of terrible things. And he's promised us that the plan is between Jesus going back up to heaven after raising from the dead... And before Jesus comes back, his gospel is going to spread throughout the entire planet, gathering children for God and brothers and sisters for Christ from every tribe and nation and tongue, and getting together a people for God's praise, which are Christ's reward for his sufferings. And so he didn't say that this is what's going to happen unless there's sickness or economic downturn or you're, you know, Jesus can only really spread his gospel if you're really happy with the prime minister. There were no caveats on God's ability to accomplish his mission but he gave us this mission and we're supposed to if there's anything that will hold it back it would be the unbelief of god's people amen if there's anything that's going to slow down the mission it would be just our unbelief and so i don't want to go there i don't want to live there Um, i don't want to get under anything and so here we are even if the world is working on a quote unquote great reset right now god is doing something that conspiracies can't control and that governments can't stop that's the point he let his son be destroyed by the might of human power and then on the third day, that morning, he, he yoinked it back, said, big undo, just so you know, you can't stop Jesus. And that's been true. So we have grown as a church from 120 um, misfits in an upper room on the day of Pentecost to somewhere around 2 billion people naming the name of Jesus as their God. And most of the growth has been happening when everybody thought the church was dying. And the church has died a few times where everybody thought, this is it, this is the end, 
No one's going to be Christians anymore. Lo and behold, the church comes back out of the dead, and it turns out that China has more Christians than there are people who live in Canada, even though that's supposed to have not happened. But God is not thwarted. God is not stopped. And so I'm preaching this sermon series for my own faith, but also I, I suspect that God is working on some core things in the church in North America during this time. Because you know what, church? We weren't doing that great before COVID hit. Thank you, Dave. And so, if nothing else, the church should come out of this time uh, with more faith, more holiness, more expectation in Christ, looking more like Jesus and on fire for God. Amen? Is that too much to ask out of a worldwide catastrophe? I don't think so. That's why God sent the Holy Spirit. So this is for me, and you get stuck with these messages. There's one more connection which I think is important. Was anybody? Did anybody hear the... The, um, the Palm Sunday message a few weeks ago. So that wasn't the egg mess message. That was the kick over the stool message that almost landed on my daughter. Anybody know it? Was anybody here for that one? Okay, good. I'm also glad it didn't actually land on her. It was, almost, it was only almost on you. I like you. I don't want you to be underneath the rubble of flying furniture. So, Anyhow... Part of the key passage of our Palm Sunday message, we were looking at when Jesus went into the temple and he cleared it out and he kicked over things. And his key verse for why he was doing that was from Isaiah. And he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Do you remember that? That's what Jesus was so mad about. You turn it into a business center, but my house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. Well, today we're going to be looking at Isaiah 56, which is where Jesus quotes that passage. Okay, so I want to kind of have us kept in this mind that when Jesus was cleansing his father's house, when he came to Israel, to Jerusalem, those many years ago, he was thinking of this passage while he was wrecking the place that we're about to read. All right? So let's read together the Word of God. And my big idea this morning is I want us to see Jesus as true sanctuary and hear a call for us as a church to be a true sanctuary. These are the words of Isaiah, fulfilled by Christ in his life and fulfilled ongoingly through the church. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring To my holy mountain and make them joyful 
in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Father, would you send your spirit upon us this morning? What do I mean by sanctuary? I think there's two different ways that you can that we use the word sanctuary and we can think of a sanctuary. The first one is a place of holiness. This is what a sanctuary means. It comes from the Latin word sanctus. Anybody heard of the band Sanctus Real before? Okay, that, that first part, Sanctus, just means holy. I don't know what real means. Louis Real? It's probably a different spelling. But it means a holy place. And when you hear in that passage in Isaiah right here, when God says, I'll bring them to my holy mountain, he's saying, I'm bringing them to a sanctuary. I'm bringing them to a holy place. And in scripture, this usually means where God's presence is dwelling in a holy way. It could be the tabernacle that Moses set up after they brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. It could be the temple that Solomon built. But in both these places, it was the place, a place on earth where God dwelt in a different and unique and holy way. And he would demonstrate his holiness in different ways, like saying, there's going to be a one tribe out of all of Israel, and they're the only tribe that can handle my worship. They're the Levites, and out of the Levites is going to be a priesthood. And this priesthood are going to be the only people who are allowed to come into my holy of holies, to come inside of the tabernacle or inside of the temple and offer or offer sacrifice there. And he's trying to prove, like, I'm, I'm holy and I'm on the earth. And he would set up these ways of communicating that God is a holy God. He's separate. He's different. He's pure. He's clean. He's without um, fault or failure or compromise. He's holy. And the sanctuary was the place on earth where God's holiness dwelt in a special way. And when Jesus came to the temple on that, that Palm Sunday, he cleaned out the unholiness that was in his father's house, demonstrating the holiness of God and the holiness of Christ. And at the same time, we often use the word sanctuary to mean a place of safety. I remember as a kid living in BC, which I hear that the peas are already growing there from my brother, as their weather is almost always further ahead and just better. Plus, there's mountains. Okay, Tenth Commandment, slow down, slow down. Going to a friend's house one time, and he said, Hey, why don't you come to a bird sanctuary? I'm like, What's a bird sanctuary? And we went to this humongous park near his house, which was just a place where they promised we're not going to cut down any trees. Because birds need trees. Birds need trees. And so for birds to live and and be safe, they need a place where you're not going to destroy their homes. This is their safe place. A sanctuary is a place of refuge where you can be yourself and thrive and be protected and be safe. And God actually himself set up sanctuaries even in the Old Testament times. There were these cities that belonged to the Levites, these same Levites, which were the holy people who took care of God's worship and were the only ones allowed to handle the tabernacle and the temple. These same Levites were gifted these things called um, cities of refuge or sanctuary cities. 
And what they said is, hey, if you had a bad accident sometime and you accidentally killed somebody or something like that, maybe you're swinging your axe and the axe head flies off and takes out your friend and your friend's family are so mad that you just accidentally killed somebody, they say, we're going to kill you. They're going to they're revenge the blood. You can run to one of these cities of refuge. You can run to one of these sanctuary cities and the city will protect you from the people who want to kill you. And there's a bit of a deal. You, you had to live there until the high priest died and that death of the high priest would, would be like the sacrifice that would cleanse you permanently from taking somebody's life even though it was by accident. But God actually set up these sanctuary cities where people who had this blood guilt on them could run to and be saved from the avenger. Both connected through the Levites to God's holiness in the world. A place of holiness where God's holiness is and there's like awe and honor and you need to be on your best behavior. And a place of holiness where you're, you're, you're guilty and you need somewhere to go where you'll be safe so no one destroys you. And it's this idea of sanctuary. Holiness and refuge. Cleanliness and protection. Everything being just the way it ought to be and somewhere safe to go when nothing's right. Excuse me for the clicking. Now one of the reasons I was attracted to this passage is something for our time is that if I can put it really forthrightly, it seems to me like Canadian culture is interested in bringing about as much sexual brokenness amongst as many people as possible during this generation. And there's cultural and spiritual reasons behind this, but one of the great ambitions of our age is to promote every kind of sexual desire and activity irregardless of consequences and outcomes. And the root philosophical, I use the P word, idea behind this is the idea that for human beings, in all the ways you can think about yourself being somebody, the sexual self for the West is the most important self and the only one that really matters. Not really necessarily your physical self. That's very changeable and interchangeable. Not necessarily your relational self and your connection to family and friends. That can, be, that can come and go. And you can just go online if you need new people. Not your financial self. You'll be fine. You don't need to work. We'll take care of you. Not your spiritual self. Who cares about that? Is there even a God? And if there is, don't let him get in the way of <laughs> your COVID reg- regulations. But your sexual self is inviolable. If you have desires, the government's job is to help you fulfill them and to create a place where you're celebrated in doing that. The consequences for us is going to be massive amounts of brokenness, loneliness, hurt, discouragement, shame, and guilt, and tons of anger as we try to support and promote something that is obviously not working. And so I'm really drawn to the eunuch here. 
Because this is one of the places in Scripture, nor, for Old and New Testament, where God singles out a sexually broken person to extend grace, invitation, love, and holiness to them. Now, I'm not sure exactly where this eunuch came from. A eunuch it means, uh, I think a male, I think it's almost always a male, but um, typically it's a male whose genitalia has been mutilated so that they're no longer able to procreate. And often it, it happens in history in different places, but one of the most regular times it would happen would be um, a rich person, maybe an emperor or a king, who has a big empire and lots of money, and they want lots of wives. And so they need men around to help them rule their empires, but they need to be men who won't mess around with their wives. Do you see the the problem? I've got a big empire. I need ministers and servants and lackeys and people to do what I say and carry messages and be my counselors. But I also have this harem that's got about 500 ladies in it, and I don't want any children that aren't my own. How do I solve this problem? And what they would do, would they, would, they would establish a eunuch class of men who have been genitalially disfigured to solve the problem of being useful politically and useful governmentally and useful as servants, but also won't be able to interfere with the wives. I think that's what's behind here. And it happens in different places in different times. And I won't go into it. it um, all the different examples I've, I've figured out from studying history. But I'm pretty sure in Isaiah's case, he's prophesying to a class of Israelites. You might remember after the fall of Jerusalem, Israel was exiled. Jerusalem was exiled in Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar and other emperors were that kind of emperor over empires who had harems and had lots of ladies and had lots of need for wise men and counselors. And we know from the book of Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar specifically sought out the young men of Israel to be taught the wisdom and literature of the Babylonians and to serve in his court. So there is a very great chance that most, if not all of those young men were made eunuchs in order to serve in that capacity. So you're an Israelite, you've been made a eunuch by a pagan king, and now after 70 years, this is, there's this option to go back to Israel and back to your homeland, and you know from the book of Leviticus that God has said that anybody who's been disfigured, like you've been disfigured, can't come into your holy place because it's a holy place. Wouldn't you feel broken now it seems to me when we're talking about people as selves and sexual selves there's at least four perspectives that are useful in thinking about this stuff and forgive me if i'm talking about this too much i I think we're going to need to learn to think deeper and deeper about this stuff if we're going to do a good job serving the lord through this But at least four perspectives on this. There's me, and I have my own identity. That's a big word these days. People care about it a lot. Am I right? You hear about identities a lot. And in our culture, our identity is king. 
But identity just means what I think about myself. But there's also others, right? There's other people who exist in this world. Sometimes we can forget about it, but there are. There's actually other people in the world. And lo and behold, they have their own identities that they think are just as important as mine. Conflict ensue. So there's me, there's other people, plus there's me and my body. I have a body. My body does stuff. And the human body is meant to go from adolescence, sorry, not adolescence, childhood, to mature adulthood. And a lot of what that maturing is, is just the development of sexual capacity. True. There's some hair growth on top of that, but really what an adult is, is somebody who has a fully functioning body that can do part four, which is have children. And all of these dynamics work into how people think or don't think about what it means to be human. It means to be uh, someone made by God with the capacity for sexuality. There's me and how I think about myself. There's me and my relationships to others. There's me and my body and what I do with my body as well as what has happened to my body in my life. And there's also the reality of children. I'm somebody's child that has been conceived through this and also the capacity to have children at some time. These are all dynamics that have to do with self. Let's think about these categories for our eunuch who God is talking about. When, the, when God starts speaking to this eunuch, he begins by addressing the eunuch's identity. In verse 3 of this chapter, he says, Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. This is the eunuch's identity. He identifies himself as somebody broken. I'm a dry tree. So not like a blooming tree, not a fruitful tree. tree. I'm here, but I feel dead. I'm a dried out tree. Why? Why is his identity like that? Well, it's because of what others have done to his body and how that impacts his ability to have children. At some point in his life, other people took him and operated on him and removed from his body the capacity to ever have children again. And because he thinks, I can never have children, because of what others did to my body, I am a dry tree. See how those things are all connected? And this is us. We don't just have an identity. We have an identity in relationship to others. And others impact our identity by what they say and feel and think. We have a body, and we can look at our body, and that can influence our identity. Other people can do things to our body, whether it's to encourage us or to shame and dismember us, that can really impact what our body does and functions, which can really change our identity. And our experience with children, either as children or whether we're having children or not be able to have children, also impacts our relationship to others, as well as what we think about our body, as well as how we identify. True? It's complicated. But the big idea here is, it's all connected. 
Our relationships impact how we think about ourselves. What we do with our body, what happens to our body, impacts how we feel about others as well as what we think about ourselves. And all this comes together and and impacts the having of children and the valuing of having of children or the not valuing of having of children. For our friend the eunuch here, as we just talked about, all these connections come together to, for him to feel about himself, I am irreversibly damaged. And what do you think he might do in response to that? Uh, feel distant from God? Feel guilty and shamed around God? Feel angry at God? Uh, take out his anger on other people, uh, do strange things to try to fill the gap, have strange relationships with people to try to fill the hole in his heart, which is this feeling of being broken, longing for people to affirm him, maybe doing strange things to try to get people to affirm him, feeling let down by the people he's trying to get affirmation from. Like, what do you think he might do in response to this? And all of the, the problems revolving around the connections and dynamics about what happened to him when he was a kid. Well, God sees him. God sees him. And starts to address him. And the first thing he does, which is totally counterculture and probably illegal in Canadian law, he tells him his identity is wrong. Do not say what you think, that you are a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant. Essentially, he's just saying to the eunuchs who want me in their heart and believe me. He says, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name. Where is the place the eunuch feels like he can never go? Into the house of God. Into the sanctuary, into the holy place. I'm too broken. I'm not welcome. He says, if you will actually believe in me, you'll choose my rest and my Sabbath. You'll want to know my pleasure. You'll want to live in my covenant. I will give you in my house and within my walls a monument. Something to be that other people will come and remember you by. And a name, a legacy. He says, better than sons and daughters. He goes right to the brokenness. I see you so broken because you know you can't have sons and daughters. If you'll choose me, I will give you something much better. Newsflash for being the church. God's plan when we meet broken people is to not necessarily give them what they think they're missing but to try to give them something much better. Newsflash about the character of God. We often come to him saying, I feel so broken because I don't have this. 
And God says, that's it? You're willing to feel broken because of that? I can give you something so much better. I'm God. What do you think you cannot have that I can't give you better than? I'm God. End of mini lesson. You're welcome to steal that and put it on your Facebook page without quoting anybody. And he says to them, I will give them an everlasting name and they sh- that shall not be cut off. So they're worried because they don't have kids that their name will be lost in Israel. Remember in Israel, the land was connected to your family. Your, the land was connected to your name. Your, your whole social being was in like wanting to be remembered as like a righteous guy or a righteous lady later on by the next generation. So he feels like he's just going to be lost and ignored. His whole being is going to disappear into the sands of time if he can't have kids. And God says, I will give you something better and I will give you a name that lasts for eternity. That will not be cut off. What's his whole problem? Something was cut off and now I'm nothing. God's saying, I can give you something that no man can take away from you. And so what Isaiah... And guys, this is the Old Testament. The mean one. The one we wish wasn't there. And this is God. How much more so the living Christ who fulfills these promises to the broken. Woo-woo! So what Isaiah is calling people to and promising is he's saying there is a way to do life. And eunuch, there's a way to do sexual life and broken life where you're not alone in your identity. I'm the Lord over your identity. I have something better than anything you could imagine about yourself. And you're not alone in your body. And your body isn't something you need to use in a certain way to be real. I'm the Lord over your body and I can do more for you than your body ever could. And I am the Lord over the others in your life. I'm Lord over all the people who either make you feel good or make you feel bad. Who can accept you or reject you. I'm Lord over all these things. And I can give you a name that they cannot shame. And I am Lord over who has children and who doesn't have children. And whether I choose one thing or another, I can give you a life richer than the generations. Amen. Got a little baby amen in me over there. Sometimes you guys are too quiet. So then, I think a scripture was just fulfilled there. Didn't he just say he's ordained praise of the mouth of babes or something like that? The rocks were just a little too quiet. Baby had to take over. <laughs> Even children's ministry can stop this one, you know. Get the kids out. Saints, can we just be so real for a bit? Like, most, if not all of us, have some kind of injury, hurt, guilt, or shame in connection to our sexual selves. It might not even have to do with anything that happened because our sexual selves are just what we're made. Like, you're made by God as male or female, but you're also made into a world that's very broken so that things can be messed up even from birth. And that's just part of the fall. It's part of the brokenness. Things are so, everything is vulnerable to being wrecked in this world. Can we just admit that? But all of us have histories, whether things we did or things people have done to us. All of us have context. We all have relationships that are broken, that have made us feel like nothing or made us feel like something when we shouldn't have. All of us have this body that is, is 
not what we might wish it would be in order to be the person we might want to be. I know that was complicated. Okay, pause for a sec. Transgender community and me have something we agree on. The transgender community understands that sometimes your body just does not fulfill its promises. And I agree with that. All of us will be betrayed by our physical bodies someday. It's called death at the very least. We want to live forever. And this piece of junk is getting older and wrinklier and messed up every single day. Don't trust your body. Use it. Lead it. Take care of it like a rusty old car that you know someday is going to the trash heap. But don't trust it. It will betray us. Our faith is in a new body that Christ will give us that cannot be destroyed and cannot be defiled and cannot be shamed and cannot be made to feel guilty. That's our hope. A body just like Jesus that comes out of the grave and never gets older ever again. End of theological nugget part three. But this is the hope. This is what God is calling this eunuch to. And guys, can we just imagine if you've been emasculated, if you've been mutilated, the depths of the feeling when he says, I'm just a dry tree. This is every part of his life for years believing this. And the God of the universe just says, you've been wrong. And I'm going to change things as you'll believe in me. And this is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we don't just like depend on this word, even though it's God speaking. We know that Jesus went to the cross to die for all of sin and to die in shame for all of shame. And we know that he came back out of the grave with this everlasting life so that everybody who comes to him, whatever's going on in your brain or your body, can have a new life ruled over by the goodness of God. And the old definitions and the old expectations went into the grave and died there. And the new possibilities came out of the grave with Jesus. But it's all about God. And now we know that Jesus Christ is the one who made us and knows us. And the joy of this life is finding out how he defines us. And that it's way better than we feared. Amen? Thank you. You're welcome to sit in the front row sometime if you want to. I'm just saying. Lead from the front. I want to push a little bit deeper into what Isaiah described. This new life and this new relief. Guys, can you imagine the good news? For somebody whose identity was loss and rejection. To have God address them so personally with promise and refuge. And this guy probably understood the holiness of God better than we do. Holiness isn't really part of our culture, you know what I mean? We know it a little bit, like, put your mask on. That's a sense of holiness. Like, you come into my store, you wear a mask. You know, that's holiness. Like, here you do this. And that's, that's the severity and the expectations, boom, being so high. But... Um, that eunuch would have understood like the inflexibility of God's requirements because of holiness so much more. And then to hear God come to him. Oh, how much time do I have? I don't. I, I, 
Okay, so I'm going to press pause here because I think it's time to meet Jesus afresh from the Gospels and then we'll come back to Isaiah. So we're jumping around in time. This is time traveling. You didn't know you were going to time travel this Sunday. You didn't know you were going to be at like 586 BC and then you are going to go to 33 AD and then back and forth again. You didn't know it. Surprise, you're welcome. So Jesus shows us true sanctuary in the fact that he... He understands holiness and never compromised on what is true about how people were meant to live. And at the same time, he's such sanctuary and refuge that the most broken people in Jerusalem and Israel ran to him for love. So I'll give you two examples. Because I think, it, I think the pressure is always this. One way we can think is, if I want to accept people, I need to lower the standards or change the standards, right? Or, I'll never change the standards, and if it means nobody shows up, nobody gets loved, that's okay. And I think these are both false ways of trying to be a Christian, trying to follow Jesus. We don't change the standards because they're not ours to change. And holding on to the standards, we don't reject the very sinners that God <laughs> sent his son to die for. And so here's the book of Matthew. This is one, I'll, I'll just read the one that kills me. Jesus is teaching on lust. Matthew 5, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So far, so good. Don't touch her, you're great. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, in a world where uh, pornography is everywhere all the time, there are no survivors. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body is thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. Okay, does that sound severe? Jesus Jesus saying, you heard it was said, if, as long as you don't sneak into your neighbor's wife's bedroom at night while he's away, you're fine. That's what people were here. Don't commit adultery, no problem. I'm not that, that attractive anyways, no problem. He says, actually, this law is about your heart. So that even in the secretest secret place of your heart, in your, the, the bedroom closet of your mind temple, where nobody knows what you think and nobody knows what you feel, if in there something is going on, in this imaginary world that doesn't even exist but is in your like thought, fantasy, desire life, if in there it's happening, it's like it happened. That is holiness. And then he says in response, so if it's happening, it's better to cut off your hand than to let it keep happening. And it's better to gouge out your eye if that's the problem than to not deal with it. Do we know anybody who's that like severe in the Western Christian world, even the guys that we think are like nut job right wingers are like more lenient than that. It's like the we got to become chainsaw church, you know, just in case you find out you have a sin. 
Now, I don't think he's actually talking about dismemberment, but what I think he's saying is this. We all know the difference between dealing with something and making excuses. You deal with it. But I'm just pointing out how Jesus is... He was the sanctuary of God, of pure, inflexible holiness. And at the same time, a regular occurrence in his life was like what happened when he went for dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house. This is Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took a place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster alabaster, excuse me, flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed her feet and anointed them with the ointment. And then Simon gets all offended at this, and Jesus tells the story about the person who's been forgiven of greater debts, loves more. Verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, Who is this man that he even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So same Jesus who taught his disciples that that holiness also to a woman who did not at all attain that holiness (laughs) running to Jesus while he's in the house of people who think she's garbage runs to Jesus to kiss his feet and weep over him because of his love and then he does this whole same identity thing with her Woman, this is your identity. You're forgiven and saved. Woman, according to other people, their opinions don't matter anymore. I rebuke them in your presence. Your body is now a holy thing, and who knows if she had children or not. But he does this whole redefining thing right in their presence for her, even though, according to the holiness, she should be an outcast. But because Jesus is both types of sanctuary, he is himself the perfect holiness, but he is the safest place for sinners to run. She came. And she was treated so good. She was the best treated person in that house. Jesus even complained to Simon that Simon didn't even treat him that great. Can we see Christ here? Can we see the holiness of God? It's like perfect standard, but through grace and through the cross, perfect acceptance of somebody who cannot even come close to the standard. Because she wants him. And this is the big issue. Do you want Jesus? And that's the whole problem point of the Sabbath pleasure thing. Oh, guys. Western church sucks. I only get 45 minutes for a message and that's already a long one that people complain about. I need a solid four. We should have an intermission. We should have a lobby full of goodies for free because apparently Jesus destroys your church if you sell things. When, when the Lord is talking to the eunuch, 
And Jesus fulfills what the Lord is promising. He mentions the Sabbath, and he mentions doing things that please God, and he mentions holding on to the covenant. And all of these things could be interpreted as downers and legalism. But I see in them Like, guys, you know I'm weird, right? And that's the point. I've kind of come to accept it. The whole point of Robert Balfour is to be unusual and then to show you things that are right there in Scripture that you don't see. And you get to be normal and see what it takes me to see. What's the deal with God saying to the eunuch, keep my Sabbaths? This is the deal. Israel was a slave nation for generations in Egypt, treated like cattle, so worthless that the Egyptians were content to kill their sons when they thought there were too many of them. When God rescued Israel from Egypt, he instituted the Sabbath, which he actually did when he created the world, but he gave them the Sabbath as the sign that they weren't slaves anymore. After generations of slave working every single day, the thing you're going to do to be my people is take an entire day to rest in me. And so what God is saying to the eunuch, with all of his worries and his broken heart, he's saying, come and rest in me. Don't be a slave to the world anymore. Don't be a slave to what people think anymore. Don't be a slave to the systems anymore. Come and rest in God. Then he says, if you'll choose the things that please me. That can sound like such a a downer bummer, which is a dunner. Dunner. If I'm really concerned about what pleases me, to hear that God is calling me to please him can sound like a a downer. But this is the truth. You're already living to please somebody. And even the people who are like really committed to just pleasing themselves, we have a word for them. They're called psychopaths. And they usually spend a lot of time in jail because they're evil. But you're already living for somebody's pleasure. You're already living in a way that you're hoping somebody else is going to be happy with you. Could be a spouse, could be a family member, could be a boss. School. A's, B's, C's, D's, E's, F's. They jump over the E. I don't know. (laughs) How do teachers do that? It's like, we're going to grade you on an alphabet that doesn't have an E. Anyhow, back to the message. Wouldn't you rather get an A than a D? And most of us, it's not because we're so zealous about calculus that it really bugs us if we don't know how to calculate a coefficient or whatever, automotive depths. Is we want the teacher to be happy with us. Right? So God says to this eunuch, you are devastated because you're always assuming that other people are not happy with you. I'm calling you into a life where I will be happy with you. Come and live with me. Learn to walk with me. And I will enjoy you. 
I'll be pleased with you. I'll like you. When you come to spend time with me, I'll be excited. You've got so many people in your life, you have no idea whether they like you or not. Canadians are so good at faking it. You have no idea. You come to church and you're like, you have no idea. We all know it, right? They smile, but did they really smile? They said hello, but did they just do it? You know, we're all so anxious. Do they mean it? Do they mean it? God's saying, if you choose me, I mean it. I like you, I love you, I want to be with you. Every little act of faith you do, I'm going to be excited about. I want to reward you for. If you choose the things that please me, it's going to be wonderful. Because I actually get pleased. And so How many of us have been finding ourselves in a situation you've been trying to make somebody happy, they don't want to be happy? They just don't. God's, God's saying, that is a hell compared to what I want to offer you. Every little act of faith I will be excited about. Come home. Come home. Come home. Come home to a dad who will love what you're doing. Come home. And finally, he talks about holding fast to the covenant. Again, that could sound like something bad. But what does the covenant mean? The covenant means this promise of everlasting I think many of the people who God is going to choose to become Christians in the world who are going through the meat grinder of our culture and their ideas about sexuality right now, they are people who have no idea what it means to know somebody who's loyal. They don't even believe anybody could be loyal. Whether it's because of stuff that happened in their family or their friendships or the world. We live in this world where people are disposable, even from the womb. And we live like this, going, I can't count on anybody. And God talks to this broken guy and says, you come to me, I will never leave you or forsake you. Till death do us, don't part. And Christian, this morning, I just want to say, this is Jesus to us. Rest like you can't find anywhere else. God loving and enjoying you. And him never giving up, never quitting, never going anywhere else. All you have to do is want him. Okay, so the team can come up. And I want to talk a little bit about us imitating this sanctuary. I think the church is going to experience more and more pressure to change our theology to fit the culture. I think if we want to be the sanctuary of God, we just say, no thanks. Same book yesterday, same book today, same book tomorrow. This is the holiness of God for us. And yet at the same time, as we meet people who don't know God, we want to help them taste sanctuary. People that they can rest around. People who they... Feel like we like them. Here's a missionary idea. Practice liking people who don't know Jesus. Just find something to like about them. Enjoy them. And third idea, let's try to grow in, in loyalty. So that maybe some of these broken, alone people can find somebody who doesn't quit on them. Amen. Father, give us the Holy Spirit afresh today.